Good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Not Safe for Work Photography Podcast. Today, we're interviewing Anna Green. Anna is a fine art nude model based in Denver, as well as a self-suspender, rope artist, and maker of unique masks and clothing items. How's life, Anna? Life is good. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's going to be super exciting. Today, we're going to talk about some standard interview things. We're going to talk about self-suspension and... We are really going to dive into the perception of the line between art nude and erotica and pornographic work. The same questions I'm asking Anna today, I'm going to be asking a photographer I have scheduled for a couple days from now, but obviously the podcast won't be released for a few weeks after this. Should be really interesting to dive into the subject from both sides. Additionally, if any of you listening work in pornography full-time as a star, as a director, as a cam girl, I would love to ask you these same questions and get a variety of perspectives on this. If you're that person, hit me up on Instagram. So now that I've gotten everyone super interested in the topic of art nude versus erotica, we're going to do the standard questions. How long have you been working in this industry, Anna? Three, almost four years. I started actually in May will be four years. Wow, time flies especially over this last year. How'd you get involved originally? Um, when I was in college, I started modeling for figure drawing classes. And the thing with those is you sit in one position for about two, three hours, which everything goes numb at that point. Mm. Um, a woman in the class wanted to photograph me with her cool film camera. And I said, yes. And next thing I know, I'm doing more photography modeling than I am figure modeling. Yeah, that sounds really <laughs> painful. It is the worst. Just as long as you don't sit on your feet, you'll be fine. But once I sat on my feet for a 90 minute drawing and that did not go well whatsoever. So lesson has been learned. Huh. Yeah, well, you just can't sit for any of those photographs, you know, the old time 1850 style photographs where you can't move for 30 minutes. Oh God. I'm so glad we have digital now. <laughs> Makes my life much easier. Yeah. Are you working as a model full-time or is this part-time? This is just part-time. I have a day job. Fair enough. So that probably makes this a passion rather than a business then, because you don't have to be doing it. Yes, it is definitely a passion. I mean, I always tell people that modeling is my social life and creative outlet all wrapped up into one. And then my day job is to get the bills paid and to give me something to put on my resume in the future. That's fair. The social life you mentioned, uh, I assume that's with other models or is it with photographers or both? it's with both. I've met some of my closest friends through this. Um, many of them are models who I just, we sh- the photographer booked both of us when we showed up and we just hit it off. Um, I also met my boyfriend, boy toy, just my current play partner through modeling. I mean, he's a photographer and we, we met on a shoot and just clicked immediately. And I've made a lot of friends from makeup artists to stylists to photographers. My social circle just bloomed when I started modeling. Hmm interesting that's the opposite of my experience i've been but then again i guess since i work mostly with models and don't ever work with other photographers i get a different perspective on that yeah that makes sense a lot of photographers i know they're more they're very like solitary creatures and they prefer to be the only (laughs) photographer on set you know it's we've had some interesting conversations about photographers over the past couple episodes i've had several models tell me that a lot of photographers tend to be engineers and or work in it I don't know if that's been your experience. Um, I mean, I've met definitely a few who work in IT, but I've worked with people with a wide range of day jobs from construction manager to pilot to just full-time artist. Hmm. 
That's good. I'm glad you're getting a wider variety of <laughs> wider variety of photographers. We might just All be right. because I'm in Denver. There's a wide range of people here. That's true. Most of the people I've interviewed so far have been on the East Coast. Uh, I haven't been trying to find those people. It's just just mostly been people that have been reaching out to me so far. It seems like the East Coast is more of a hub for nude work than because like you come out here to the Midwest and there are very few nude models. And I know a lot of travel models like skip this area because photographers won't pay very well for nude work all the time. That's actually something I haven't explored is regional variations on pay. That might be be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to listen to that. Please do an episode on that. (laughs) I I don't know that I could do it. I guess I could do it with a traveling model that's been all over. Because I did have the just, well, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spill anybody's secrets, but I've definitely had one or two discussions with people about their, uh, about their rates and what other people are making in other places, which I guess means that I'm betraying the photographers. Uh, all right. Are your politics or beliefs reflected in your work? Um. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I'm very leftist. I mean, I'm a young person and most young people are very leftist, um, but I'm just a big believer that there's no wrong way to be human or to have a body. And I just sort of, if I want to do it, I do it. And if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. And that's that's sort of where my beliefs come in. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> can't ask for too much more for that. All right. Well, we're going to lead off with something that's not strictly photography related, although you have done it quite a bit as a model. And that is self-suspension. Self-suspension is pretty unique. There are a lot of models that do bondage, but you're the first one I've spoken with and maybe the first one I've seen that does self-suspension. So what exactly is self-suspension? Um, so if you know what shibaris or what like bondage or suspension is, it's basically that, except I'm tying myself. Um, and so obviously there are a couple limitations there as well as a couple bonuses of doing it myself. For one, I just, I can't tie my arms. And so wh- whatever I do, it's less bondage. It's more like aerial silks, just with small shibari rope. Um, it's also, I mean, there isn't really, it isn't really as big as full-on bondages. I guess like, again, it's a sort of a solitary kind of activity because you're doing it by yourself. And there isn't really much of a community for self-suspenders, but I don't know. I mean, I like being in control and I don't really trust other people to tie me, especially when I know that I can probably do it a little bit better than they can. And so I figured <laughs> I'll do it myself. Like I know how, and I like, I like the moving element whereas in like most bondage or rope bondage. It's not about moving and I love the moving. That's what makes it interesting for me. So do you do other, you mentioned the silks and aerial work. Do you do that sort of work as well? I do not. So the main problem or the main issue I find with silks and lira is that you can fall off of them extremely easily. I know because I did a lira shoot a couple of weeks ago and I spent half the shoot like falling onto the floor. Whereas with rope, it is extremely hard to fall because you're literally tied to a hard point. So that makes it, I like because I can't fall and I just, I'm known for falling over, especially if I'm in heels. I'm just like, <laughs> every endeavor knows like I will probably fall over at some point during the shoot. All right, so we put pads around the edges of the shoot where it's out of the camera angle, but how did you get involved in self-suspension? Well, um, a couple of years ago, I thought I was submissive and so I wanted to be tied up. Um, and my play partner at the time was not really into tying me up and he wasn't very good at it. And I just, I wanted the ropes to be prettier than they were. 
And so I was figured like, screw him, I'll do it myself. Um, and so I bought some ropes and started like practicing ties on myself, just like decorative stuff. And I eventually like, of course I came across suspension and that's like the gold standard in the rope world. Like it just, it's always, it's much, much more advanced. It's much more interesting than just floor bondages. And so I wanted to be suspended, except that a lot of rigors are really hard to schedule with, or they're looking for like something sexual. And I just wanted the experience. And so I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'll do that myself too. And so I went to a couple of classes and I watched videos and through a lot of trial and error, I learned to suspend myself. Yeah. I can imagine trying to find people that are interested in suspension, but not interested in the sexual component is probably more difficult. It is. Plus like sus- being suspended is much riskier. There's so much more room for like nerve injuries or muscle injuries. Even having someone cross your boundaries, it's much bigger risk. And I just didn't want to have to deal with that and having to vet people. And so, I mean, when it's me, I know I'm safe. I know I'm in good hands. And if something hurts, I can just get myself down right away. All right. I would ask, where does one learn how to self-suspend? But you've already described it. Uh, So let's talk gear. You have to suspend yourself on something. Is this, what gear do you have to use if you wanted to do self-suspension? Um, the first step is you need a hard point. Um, so a lot of, when I shoot it, a lot of people I work with will have a hard point like in their home studio. Um, a couple of studios here in Denver have hard points. Um, when I'm at home, I have a hard point. It's on the back patio, just like a big beam. And so usually you practice out there. I'm usually I'll be practicing. My roommates will be like weeding or gardening. And every couple of minutes they'll yell, Anna, are you okay? I'll be like, yep, I'm okay. So my, I end up having spotters. But um, you also need, I use a ring or just something to like latch onto the hard point. Um, some people use carabiners. I like the ring just because it's big and wide and I can put multiple lines onto it. Um, the point of having a ring or a carabiner up top at the hard point is just to reduce friction so that you just, because basically how suspension works for no matter if you're tying yourself or if someone else is tying you, is that you get a harness on a body part or on a person and then you attach an upline, which is what holds the person up. And then you basically run that rope between like a, either a just a loop or a carabiner on the harness. We run the rope between that and between like the ring at the hard point. And then basically once you have like enough rope ring between those, it just, you get a lifting advantage. You can just like yank the person up or in my case, yank myself up. Um, so for gear, obviously my ring, which is, it's like my baby. Um, I, I can never lose it because it makes tying everything so much easier. I just can't tie carabiners for some reason. Um, and then I have a lot of rope. I tie with both jute and synthetic rope. My synthetic is from a brand called Agreeable Agony, which I love it because it's synthetic, it's washable. I, I have a bunch of different colors of it. Um, and my jute, it's a little bit like it's a little bit, it hurts a little bit more, it's a little bit more fetishy and leaves bigger rope marks. So I, I have that if you want like the fetishier look for a photo shoot, but when I'm practicing, I usually use synthetic just because I want to be comfortable and not in pain while I'm tying. I oh yeah. Guess. Oh yeah, and safety scissors. You need to always have safety scissors. Um, I usually like, I'll like bun mine up and stick it in my hair when I'm self-suspending. So if something goes wrong, I can easily pull them out and cut myself free. Don't forget yeah. to mention the scissors. Yeah, we had a longer in-depth discussion on Shibari a couple episodes ago with Rope Goddess, uh, and that was a big thing they covered as well. Is although since they were talking about partner bondage, there was a lot more discussion around consent and vetting as well. There. Mm-hmm. 
Do you ever shoot yourself while doing self-suspension or is it always with a photographer, all the photographs of suspension on your page? Um, all those photos on my page, um, those are shot by photographers. I mean, the main issue is shooting myself. I know some self-suspenders do it, but the issue I ran into is like, I'm tied to the ceiling and so I, can't, I don't really have mobility. And I probably could set up a camera and have a timer on it. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I'm thinking about angles. I'm thinking about the lighting as opposed to thinking about my tie. And if I'm not thinking about what I'm doing in the rope, then I run the risk of making a dumb choice and getting myself injured and not paying attention to how I'm feeling and when I need to come down. So for the most part, um, photographers shoot it. Although when I'm practicing, I'll usually like do like, I'll set up my camera and do like a little video of me practicing just so I can review it later and see what I, what I can change, what went wrong, what went right, what shapes I like. And just for future reference, if I want to do the tie again. Yeah. And for those of you that want to watch on a practice time, where there's a couple videos that she's given me that I'll make sure they're in the show notes on Vimeo. All right. You mentioned as well when we started talking that one of your goals with rope work was you wanted to find ways to showcase it differently, uh, a way that's not quite as fetishy and not something related to the larger sort of BDSM power dynamic paradigm. Do you have any thoughts on how you're doing that? Um, It's a work in progress. I mean, I'm sure most people have noticed that lots of BDSM and rope photography is shot in one way. It's, it's usually like a woman totally bound, usually naked, and a man, a, a man or usually a man who's a rigger who's tying her. And mm-hmm. shot from one angle, same lighting. And like rope is such a beautiful medium that I don't want it to be limited by that perception of it. Um, and so, I mean, for... The way I do self-suspension, I mean, that alone sort of takes it out of the fetishy realm and puts it into the realm of being akin to just aerial art, like Lyra or aerial silks. Um, but one thing I've sort of loved to do is doing like fashion-y self-suspension. So like suspending like a big dress, um, which is extremely challenging just because tying over clothing is hard because everything slips and it's definitely staying in place the same way as when I'm nude. But I've loved doing extra like glamoury, fashiony suspensions. Um, I also love just just like, sort of like trying to make it as unique as possible. So like suspending a chair or a couple like white posing boxes, or doing a suspension and then the photographer and I we just flip the image sideways. And so like it's this defined gravity element. And at that point, when that happens, you sort of take it from the realm of just like, oh, she's a woman who's tied up, it's fetishy, it's sexual. And you'd be like, oh, it's like, this is artwork actually. And the fact that I'm in rope doesn't really negate that when you put it in that lens. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but I've already looked through the pictures and I've decided the red dress is the one that's going on the social media post for this because that is amazing. I'm glad that was really hard. Um, actually, so I have a hip harness like beneath the dress, and then I then I tied up the end of the dress, and yeah, that that took a very long time to rig up just because the dress kept getting in my way. It is that, that's actually my um senior prom dress, and it is very. <laughs> I mean, you got to get wardrobe from somewhere. I mean, yeah, and besides, I mean, I spent like twenty bucks on that at a thrift store. I want to use it for anything. <laughs> that's a good deal. I, I really lucked out. It was great. All right. I Unless you have something else you really want to talk about for self-suspension, I think it's time to move on to our main topic. Yeah, go for it. All right. I have a quote from our original discussion I'd like to share. 
from uh, obviously I'm quoting you. It'd be weird to quote myself. There's this notion in the nude art community that a line must be drawn between nude art and porn. You are not alone in thinking this. This has come up in some of the interviews I've had previously, uh, sometimes on the interview, sometimes before or after the interview and kind of our discussion around then. Would you like to elaborate on what specifically you mean here? Yes. Um, so this is just something I've noticed with both photographers and models alike, um, especially those who primarily do nude work. Um, uh, something I hear a lot from everyone in all arenas of this is they say, oh, I don't, I do nude photography. It's art. It's not porn. So that makes it okay. Um, I think that's sort of like a damaging way to think of both pornography and nude work because you're defining nudes by, or nude photography by what it isn't. You're saying this isn't porn and that's how I'm legitimizing it. Except the, the flaw that I find with that is if you're legitimizing your art by demonizing something else, then what's happening is you're sort of adding a stigma around sex work and sexual content and pornography when it doesn't really necessarily have to be there. And it's like, it's equivalent of like knocking someone else down to lift yourself up. And I mean, I know there is a, there's like a pretty much a divide between like the, the artistic nude side of it and like the erotic side of it. And I know a lot of people, especially, I hear this from photographers a lot. They'll always say that like, oh, we don't want the shoot to be pornographic. So make sure your legs are always together or like no like wide leg shots, even if it fits into the pose because that would make it porn pornographic. And I don't want to do that. And so on one hand, I think it is, a, I think part of it is like a safety concern almost of models who like draw the line in the sand and they say like, I'm not doing anything erotic because when you, I feel like when you get into a, the area of shooting erotica, it's easy for people to get the wrong idea and it's easy for boundaries to be crossed. And same with the photographers. Um, they don't want to be added to like the local list of creepy photographers. And so they try and keep every image like just focus on just the body without any possible hint that it's sexual. And I mean, of course, the hard part about this is that people define sexuality and pornography in different ways. I mean, it's why the Supreme Court gets together and watches porn once a year to figure out what isn't isn't allowed. Actually, I think I don't know if they. I, th I hope they still do that because I love that mental picture. But um, like there are some things that people find erotic, and some things like it wasn't intended to be erotic. And I mean, sometimes like people will find just full nudity, they'll find that erotic, and so it's just hard to figure out where the line is. But I, I do often hear nude people who do nude work sort of demonizing erotica and pornography in order to like lift up their own art form when that really, that isn't constructive and it just hurts sex workers. Well, and it hurts a surprising number of models too. Again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spread anybody's secrets. I'm not gonna talk about who specifically has said this, but more than one of the models that I've talked to in the past, whether interviewed or not interviewed for the show, have done... Uh, sex work and or do erotica as well and they keep it pretty heavily on the dl i did want to ask specifically about you mentioned the open leg and that's definitely again speaking as a photographer i can't i haven't looked at a ton of photographers profiles or work but i do know that that's super frequent on model pages about, you know, don't do open leg work, don't do erotic work. That's very definitely kind of the line that's drawn for erotica. Do you have any insight on why that specific line is drawn? I don't 
don't know where that came from, honestly, because like you'll see in like um, boudoir photography, like a woman in laundry will have her legs like wide open. And so I think part of it is like a lot, I know a lot of models aren't comfortable people like seeing their labia and their vulva. And I totally understand that it's a thing about personal comfort and having boundaries. But I think one part of it is it seems like a very intimate part of someone for some, a stranger or a photographer to see. And so I can see that, but also, I mean, I just think about if you see a man's penis, like if you saw a, fo a photo of a nude man with his penis, like totally erect, what would you think? I think we have this idea that like sexual organs, like they're literally their only purpose is sex. And the fact that they exist is inherently gross or it's inherently dirty or it's in, there's something inherently wrong with the fact that humans have sexual organs. And I think that's that sort of like belief system, I'm sure it probably came from religion. It's, it seems like it probably came from like the Puritans or something, but I think that sort of like leaked into the, the art world or like the photography world. And so I mean, on one hand, I'm sure models like probably came from models like not wanting to expose that intimate part of themselves. But also I know a lot of photographers like, like I one of my favorite poses involves me like putting my, like putting my leg like up and then like I'm grabbing my leg. And like, it's a really good like sort of like shapey pretzel pose, but like you can totally see my labia. And I've had a lot of photographers tell me like, oh, put a hand over that, like cover it up or just like change, change the pose. And so I think, I mean, when we get this idea that the spread leg shot is sexual or that like having sexual organs is obscene and there's something wrong with it, when like, it's like in the nude art world, people can appreciate the whole rest of someone's body. Why not that part of them too? So I love my tangents. No worries. I have two follow-ups. The first one I think is more important. Go ahead. I, I know that generic, generally speaking, generically is totally the wrong word for this. Generally speaking, a lot of women are ashamed of their Libya Majora and Libya Minora. Uh, they don't like the shape of it. They're worried that it doesn't match what they see in explicit work because explicit work tends to select for people with Libya that looks like one kind of archetype. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting though, that I wonder how much this helps propagate that because people that don't have Libya that matches that, you know, are ashamed of it. They hide it. They say, no, I will not be seen like this. And I wonder how much of it is shame as well as concerns about erotica. Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing with the men in penis size where if we only see like certain looks and certain body types and certain like organs of a certain look in media, then we assume that if you don't look like that, there's something wrong with you. So I hadn't, hadn't thought of that of this, I guess it's still censorship element. Uh, I, just speaking, I don't think I've ever seen too many male models that have small penises because they probably don't pose nude. Fair. Yeah. All right. Second one, you did mention erect versus unerect penises. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's the line that most male models would draw as erotica, as erect versus non-erect. Of course, that's a little harder to tell with women. So Exactly. So I think just because there isn't like a clear line of like whether the woman is aroused or isn't aroused or like, because like if you see an erect penis that like very, like that demarcates this as like sexual. And I think that's an easy shortcut for people to make that like erect is sexual women we don't really have that like telltale sign of like when we go from just this is the body to this is the body before sex and so I think since there isn't that line of or that it, there isn't that line or obvious difference it's sort of common just say like okay no vulva 
none of that stuff, we're not gonna show any of it. Because if you show that, it's, it'd be the same as showing a man's erect penis. That would make the image more sexual. You know what? I have the answer. Uh, Just every time we shoot a picture and we need to make sure that everybody knows whether this is fine art or erotica, we just need to Photoshop an erect penis somewhere in the picture and we'll know. (laughs) Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yes. If you see the erect penis anywhere in the image, okay, it's sexual. Now we know. Now you can get offended. I think you're onto something. It's it's a simple answer to a complex problem. All right. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the specific source of this. And and I agree, it's not going to be a simple answer. We're not going to, you're not going to be able to point to Instagram's community guidelines and say, there, right there's the problem, although that may be a different problem. So let's talk Instagram community standards. How much do they contribute to this problem? I mean, Instagram community standards is a whole other animal, but it's interesting because sometimes Instagram will take down things like it's very obviously a censored photo or it's like a photo where she's like a woman is wearing like a thong or she's wearing clothing, but Instagram will still take it down by claiming that the image is like, like that sexual content. Whereas, I mean, I also think it depends very much on like the size of someone's audience of like there have been cases of like influencers posting a very risque photo that isn't censored and it's fine whereas a normal person or a normal like a nude model with like a lower following they post a like a very obviously censored photo and it still gets taken down so i think that my main beef with instagram community standards is that there isn't there isn't a line it very much sort of depends on like who sees it who reports it like the shape of how it's censored and like the person's following it's like, I mean, I, I don't really want to blame Instagram for this particular problem because it has multiple sources. But I think Instagram, like they're uneven, I guess I'll say their uneven application is it's, it's sort of like feeding the problem of trying to find a line of what is sexual and what isn't. And like, it just like, so Instagram is basically saying that like, it isn't, like, it's fine. You can keep it up. It isn't sexual if you have a couple of like million followers, but for everyone else, nope, it's sexual for you guys. I've definitely seen in the past couple of weeks, a lot of uncensored nipples. I've seen uncensored pubic hair, but censored nipples, which was a little weird. Hmm. Yeah. So I've noticed a lot that like, if it's, if it's men's pubic hair, usually it'll get taken down if the whole pubic area isn't censored. Whereas I've like a pictures of like a women's pubic hair, like like anything below that is censored. But like if you see like a little bit of pubic hair on top, like that that stays up a okay. Yeah, I did see one earlier this week where they censored specifically the vulva and labia, but left the pubic hair on. Ooh, and the image and that up. was fine. Yeah, it stayed up. Well, I mean, that's great because like pubic hair isn't inherently sexual. Like pubic hair is not the same thing as genitals because it's just hair in that area. Despite my teenage self thinking so due to poor sexual education. Oh yeah. Oh my God. America really needs better sex ed. All right. Let's talk about some of the other sources rather than dive into sex ed because that is not the topic of this podcast. that's That's a different episode. You know, that actually might be a whole podcast in and of itself. That might be an interesting, I wonder if anyone's doing that. Anyways, side <laughs> side thing. Anyways, uh, how do photographers contribute to this? I, I heard you mention specifically that I was surprised to hear. I would not have expected. I would have expected photographers to be way more encouraging of more explicit photography. 
the main issue is like most communities they have like a list of like creepy photographers mostly male photographers to avoid shooting with i know denver and colorado certainly has a very long list of creepy people mm-hmm. and i think just because of that and because that there are facebook groups for models and just like erotic groups or just like communities of models like share notes and exchange stories i think a lot of male photographers are much more cautious that their work cannot possibly be mistaken for erotic because at least in denver if someone posts too much erotic work, no one will ever work with them. They get totally blacklisted. And I mean, I feel like Denver's kind of prudish. I mean, there isn't really a lot of nude photography. It's still sort of underground. Um, so it might, that might be the case in different regions, which will be a good, which would be a good episode for you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I have noticed that several of the people that I've spoken to, at least three of the models I've spoken to, all come from North Carolina, which I find really interesting. Because it's... Yeah, that yeah. seems like... Yeah, that seems like, yeah, that seems like a big region for it. I'm always surprised at that. That being said, for the photographers, I know I think that I would rather err on the side of caution there, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just it takes just like one misunderstanding or one miscommunication, just like one instance, and you get blasted on social media and no one will ever work with you again. You get like a bad name in the community. It's a really hard thing to come back from for photographers. And I mean, in some cases, it's like that blasting or that canceling is well earned because some of them are legitimately very creepy. Yeah. But for the people who have just pure artistic intentions, they don't want to like ruin their chances of working with new, interesting people in the community by posting anything that's too erotic. I mean, I know plenty of photographers, they're happy to shoot erotic because they just won't post or let anyone see it. And I think it probably just like depends on, I guess, the photographer's situation. Like I, I know a lot of photographers who are married and they just won't even think about shooting erotica because it's a relationship issue. Whereas, I mean, others, like they're a-okay doing it, they won't post it. Or like maybe they'll just let the model post and ask not to be tagged. It's really interesting. <laughs> I can see definitely for like a new photographer or the first time you work with a model for sure. That's definitely not where you want to break out your, that's not where you want to break out your more interesting erotic suggestions and ideas, but I'm surprised that even after they've worked together for quite a bit, although again, like you said, a lot of them aren't publishing it. So they're doing it. They're just not publishing it. Yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah, I guess who knows who actually is shooting erotica because for those, because I do shoot like erotica if I want to. Um, and so like all the people I've shot it with, like my, I used to do it with a lot of my play partner who's a photographer. And of course, again, it's relationships. So that's, no one's gonna end up on the creeps list. But for the other people who I shoot it with, we've known each other for a very long time. I sort of, I trust that photographer to do a good job. And I trust them to know that this is a strictly platonic thing and to not get the wrong idea. I've also find that it helps um, if I want to shoot anything erotic, working with a photographer who frequently shoots erotica. So it's like, they're not seeing anything new. And I feel like with someone who's experienced that, there's less of a risk of them thinking that I'm into them, which is a very real problem for models, photographers catching feelings. Yeah, and I, I find it interesting that you mentioned there's, you're not seeing anything new on the erotica side. I, I just, I know myself looking at things like glamour, that seems super routine and boring to me. It's always the same five or six poses. It's always the same type of clothing. It's always the same type of lighting erotica seems like it could be so much more varied it is but also think it depends on how you define erotica because i mean if you define like taking pictures of a woman or a model masturbating then there aren't really 
like that could easily become very repetitive very fast because there are only so many toys and only so many positions and only so many old faces she could possibly make. Whereas I sort of like the way I shoot erotica, it isn't necessarily that. It's more like I want to make a point and I want to bash someone over the head by making that point. Um, for example, one of my projects, it's called them um, Witch Lips. And basically, I was just sort of really fed up about how people treat like like the vulva as extremely obscene when it's just it's part of my body. People can appreciate the lines and the shapes of all the rest of my body, just not that one area. And so I did a whole series of something where I had like some like an object or a prop in my mouth and then in my vagina. So I did one with pearls of, and then in Photoshop, I just like sort of connected the pearls with like a stringling like from my lips and then like across the frame into my vagina. I also did one where we use special effects makeup to sew both my mouth and my lips, my other lips shut. Um, it's like, for me, like that's like, when I say erotica, that's sort of what I'm referring to with my personal projects. Um, I've also filmed scenes with my play partners just because it's fun making sex tapes. I mean, it's true. Like, I feel like with actual sex, like that can get repetitive because there are only so many possible combinations of that. And so I think at least like the way I try and make erotica less repetitive or boring is to like do something that's super duper weird. I mean, it's not as, it might not be sexual at that point because if I'm sewed up down there, like sex is probably impossible just from a logistics perspective. And so that might not even count as erotica now that I think about it. Erotica, I'm thinking more on the intent to arouse side. Ah. Uh, so I, I think you're, that project you're talking about, I think I saw one in your Instagram with uh, papayas, was it? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's the Fingering Fruit series. Because, <laughs> like, fruit, I mean, a lot of people have done that, but like, fruit, it's so yonic looking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's really evocative, even if like not nothing of me is actually showing. If I just have my fingers in an orange and like put the juices leaking everywhere, it's a it's very evocative of, of like something more sexual. Yep. So I guess, yeah, it's, I, mean, I feel like it's hard to say what will arouse and what won't. So I didn't actually, I didn't blow up that picture to realize that uh, you were fingering the fruit. So I didn't realize that that was, <laughs> I thought it was oh, yeah. meant to be more of a visual representation. My apologies. <laughs> Oh yeah, there was some fingering going on. Maybe not not in that particular shot, but for most of that shoot, I was just I digging my fingers into fruit. No, I think that that type of erotic art definitely makes a really interesting commentary because there's nothing specifically inappropriate about it. There's no, like you said, there's no labia, there's no vulva, there's might not be any nipples even, but it could be really, really dirty. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so much potential for dirtiness quote unquote, without nudity. And oh, I should do a series about that next. Good idea. I'm sorry, would you like to continue on there? Um, I'm actually just making a note that I should, I'm adding that to my to shoot someday list. Oh, I see. Because that would be a fun series of like how to make something sexual without having any skin showing. You're giving me some great ideas, dude. Oh, I like to be useful. All right. Uh... Looking at the time, we should move on. I did have a question here about certain types of fetish work definitely tend to lean towards fine art or pornography. For example, bondage, as we've spoken about, there's an awful lot of models that are comfortable shooting bondage because it tends to lean more towards the fine art side. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you agree? Would you where would you where would you think that other fetishes would fall on that scale? Ooh. Um 
I would argue that unless the fetish is related to the genitals, like if it's cock and ball torture, that is very obviously more on the pornography side than it is on the fine art side or things like um, pumping or like nipple clamps, like those are very obviously on the porn side just because like genitals are involved. Whereas, and fluids uh, too. I think fluids, fluids is a, that's a pretty yeah, strong fluids. line. That is, but I think things like, I guess like anything with feet or maybe like, like I guess like a food fetish or like certain types of bondage or even like um play piercing, that's sort of like, oh, that's sort of harder because I mean like feet aren't inherently sexual, but also it's a very common fetish for people to have. And so I would argue that sort of like, I guess sorting those into categories is less about what the fetish actually is or what is being shown and more about how it's captured. I can definitely agree with that. I have a, I've seen a lot of people in this area doing, well, I guess it's not, I guess it's mostly on FetLife. A lot of people doing damsel in distress, which is bondage, but it's not artful bondage. It is, you know, partially naked women with a gag and they're sort of rudely tied around their body. It's usually done without any real regard for pattern or knots or anything like that. And the lighting is usually, you know, living room lighting. There's no, there's no attempt at directionality or trying to bring out textures or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In that case, that would definitely go more on the erotica side. Whereas with Shibari, like that, if it's really well tied and if like that has very artistic elements. So even if someone is like totally bound and gagged and can't move, just like the artistry of the knot sort of like, I feel like that pushes it more towards the nude art side or I guess the art side. Yeah, context, context is a lot of it. Yes, context, lighting. I feel like the intention of the artist sort of matters too. Like is the photographer, are they trying to make, are they trying to make art? So is the lighting interesting? Is the set interesting? Do they have props? Is the pose is the pose really working? Or are they trying to snap a photo of a sexy woman in bondage? So it's like, I think the, yeah, the intention and the style matters more than the content does is what I would say. Yeah, I was thinking earlier about your discussion about various ways to shoot a woman masturbating. And I was thinking to myself, well, what if you shot it from like the head and you did some really super directional lighting with a grid and maybe some interesting go-betweens uh to put some shapes around there like there's some ways you can take it and mix and match a bunch of different styles but it doesn't have to be you know shot directly between her knees uh Mm -hmm. that definitely that definitely like we're talking about like context and lighting and all of that yeah it definitely matters or like if you had it like selective lighting so you can see parts of her but not others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you could see like, although now, now see I'm following and in, falling into this classic photographer trap you just described because I'm talking, my first thought was the shadow is super deep at the junction of her legs, but you can see her arm going in, which sort of says, hey, look what I'm doing right here without actually showing it. But I'm falling right into that trap you were just talking about, isn't it? Hmm. Yes, it's a sticky trap, isn't it? Yeah, apparently. When a new model is getting into photography and they want to do erotica or they want to do pornography for that matter, you've talked a lot about how there's, you know, both societal and cultural and job related pressures to kind of stay on the fine art side. How do you think a new model that wants to do erotica should approach this problem? 
Um, so I think first things first, never, ever, ever use your real name for anything erotic because it takes one jealous dude to find your Facebook page and leak it to your parents. And that is, that's really hard to come back from. That hasn't happened to me personally, but I know a lot of models where that has happened and they got totally outed. So first of all, never use your real name. Um, secondly, I would say, um, interrogate why you want to do it and what you want to do. Um, I've had a brief stint doing porn a long, long time ago. Um, it was fun because I got to pay off my student loans, which is great. Um, also, it was a way for me to explore fetishes in like a very in a safe environment or safer than it would be with meeting new people and like having to vet new play partners. But so I'd say, like, first of all, like, never use your real name, but also like think about why do you want to do it. And I think because of the people I've met who have done porn and regretted it, it was because their why it wasn't really for them. They didn't want to have fun. They wanted to either make money or they wanted to like just present as more sexual. Um, I also think, I mean, be extremely picky with what you do and who you work with. I mean, this applies for, I feel like models of all kinds is if you, especially, but especially with adult workers, if you get like the even smallest red flags, get out of there. You're, even if it was a misunderstanding, like your safety is more important than anything. And when people end up in situations that they regret or that were dangerous at the time, there are usually red flags. So if you just bail out the first red flag from a situation, you'll probably be okay. Um, also just like have really hard limits to what you will and won't do. Um, for example, when I was in porn, like I will not swallow. It grosses me out. Like just even thinking about it makes me want to gag. And a lot of people, like when I was doing that, a lot of people I worked with, they just, like, I feel like when you tell men, sorry, no offense meant, of course, because you're a man, but when you tell men that you won't do one sexual act, all they want is for you to do that one sexual act with them. And so I, like, when I'm talking with a studio or with a, or with a content creator, I would tell him or them that I will not swallow, I don't care how much you pay me, I won't do it. And the first thing they're like, oh, you won't swallow. Okay, here's more money. You're like, oh, what if we do it like this? And I'm like, no, I won't swallow ever. So having very clear boundaries and stand by them, no matter how much money someone offers you or how tempting it may be to like, just do the thing you don't want to do just really quickly. Cause if you do things you aren't okay with, like, it isn't going to feel great. And you're not going to be happy about having that out there for other people to see. And like, it's not going to be a fun experience if you didn't want to do it. Have you ever oh, seen Chasing Amy? Uh, no, I haven't. It, I mean, I guess it was released 20 some years ago. So it's a little, little before your time. It might be but, older than I am. There's, there's a line in there where she's talking about how every man wants to be Marco fucking Polo. <laughs> and that's all I could think about when you're talking about they always want to do something that you've never done or something that you won't do because it makes them special. Yeah, I think it's about conquest. I mean, I have a theory about even just male photographers shooting nudes. I mean, I see this especially in Denver. That's like if a photographer says he wants to shoot nude, for for a lot of people, it's not that they actually want to shoot like a nude model. They want to find a model who's never shot nude before. They want to talk her clothes off and then shoot her nude. Yeah. It's like for people like me who do all nude work, there isn't a conquest there. And so on one hand, that automatically vets people who do want the conquest element of like talking girls' clothes off. 
but also it sort of sucks for all the fashion models because their job is to be a fashion model. And yet these schools keep trying to get them naked just to satisfy their own need for conquest. Yeah, that uh, yeah. makes an easy red flag though. Oh yeah, it's very obvious seen from a mile away. I'm kind of curious. I actually want to, I want to have somebody that's done some porn before, because I would really love to talk about the wage difference between shooting clothes, shooting nude, shooting erotica and shooting porn, because it seems like it's just so stark. Yeah. And it's, that's that's very much like an exponential curve. Once you start like going Mm. down that line, because you just could not make, especially as a freelance fellow, you just cannot make money shooting in clothing because there are a million girls everywhere who are happy to put on a pretty outfit. Yeah. I guess unless you have a really interesting face. And so I think that's why like traveling nude models are so popular. Like traveling models, they do so much nude work is because it pays. Yeah. And it's at like that junction where it pays well, but it isn't as dangerous or as potentially risky as shooting erotica is. And it's like, you just get the best of both worlds that way. Yeah, art, when you see, say you shoot art, you have a lot more cultural credibility than when you get, when you say you shoot porn, you tend to get a lot more, a lot more, yeah, a lot more looks. Oh, honey, we can help you. What if yes. I'm doing this because I want to do it? Yeah, and because I think, because there's, I mean, this is the same as sex work, like because there's stigma around shooting porn or being an adult actress, um, that sort of means that the people you come in contact with, like they're not as respectful or there aren't as many protections for you if you're doing adult work because it's frowned upon. And so, I mean, even nude work is still fairly stigmatized, I guess, in certain regions and certain communities, but it's close enough to art. I mean, if you say anything's art, people will be a-okay with it. Whereas with porn, it's much harder to make people accept it. And if people don't accept it, they just want to see it vanish. And when that happens, you don't have people wanting to pass laws to protect sex workers or content creators or porn actresses. And so you find yourself in a slightly more dangerous job than it would have been if people were accepting of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are just about out of time. I have two more questions for you. And then we can go ahead and start through the outro. So first of all, do you have anyone that you really look up to in modeling? Ooh, it's hard so many people. Um, I think one of my biggest inspirations is Kat Malone. I am in awe of her, just the way she has so much personality that comes through in every single photo. And she does an amazing job of being, presenting herself as a very sexual person while also like having so much personality. Like she doesn't, she never gets flattened into a sexual object. Like you look at every single photo, you know, she's there and she's having a great time. Um, so she's a big inspiration. Um, also Sienna Hayes, I love her posing style. Um, I have a whole folder of like poses, like pose inspiration, like half the pictures are of her. Um, another one, her name is um, Lauren on Instagram. She's 95% Lauren. Um, she's a cosplayer and content creator. She's actually one of my best friends. We met on a shoot and we hit it off right away. Um, she's just so funny and clever. And she has so much agency in every single thing she does. And that inspires me to up my game and to be more creative and be more interesting. So I am just in awe of her. And I'm so lucky I get to shoot with her very often. That was some of the recommendations for people to follow on Instagram. All right. Last question. What is your favorite photo in your portfolio and why? Oh, that's a hard one. 
because I've done a lot of stuff that was so much fun that I'm super proud of. Um, I think one that I love and that a lot of people also love, it's a suspension picture of me. I suspended two of those white posing boxes and I strung up myself next to them. Um, and so the, for the edit to tuck return the image sideways, and that has a very special place in my heart. I mean, one, because it was, that was my first time tying a posing box and suspending that. And it's like a fun moment of realizing that I could do this and that it isn't actually that hard. Um, so that was fun. Also, whenever I look at that picture, I get like vibes from Firefly, like the scene where um, in the first episode where like they find the girl in the box and then mm -hmm. her older brother has to explain the whole situation to the crew. It makes me think of that for some reason. Interesting. So that image actually came about because that photographer, no offense to him, he's my favorite person to work with. He's just such a sweetie. But um, he has a tendency to, during a shoot, he'll like bring up a photo you took of another model and have you pose and have you like in that exact same pose and he'll like have you move your toes or like just like line up so everything's exactly that same pose. And so I sort of know shooting with him, whereas if I do a pose that it's if I do like a really good pose, um, then the next five girls he shoots after me, he's going to like coach them into that exact same pose. And so I knew I had to do something that literally no one else could possibly replicate. And I mean, there aren't many girls who suspend. He, I think he shoots a couple of them, but that's all like hip harness stuff for the most part. And so I figured if I suspended his posing boxes and myself with them, like no one else could possibly replicate that. So it's going to be all mine. And they won't have to see him post another girl in that exact same pose like three weeks later. I will admit to being kind of petty about things, but <laughs> I, I will admit it freely. You know, that actually makes me wonder what an art project like that would look like, like as an actual show, like 10 large portraits of people in the exact same pose, but different models and different. That would be really interesting, actually. I would like to see somebody do a show like that. That would be fun, especially if people with like really different body types. Yeah. Yeah. Look for really, you know, different skin tones, different hairstyles, mm -hmm. different body types, like variation on everything except the pose. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Cause there are a lot of poses like that I just can't do. Like there's one that Sienna Hayes does where she has like an arm like bent up overhead and one arm thrown back. And I just <laughs> cannot do that without falling over. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay. You couldn't use that one. Yeah, I'm actually writing like that down. It has to be like a more doable pose because that yeah. where people can do without falling over. Yep, I'm gonna do that. That's gonna be a project that I'm gonna do. All right, add it to the list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my list is getting long. All right, so Anna, where can everyone find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram at Anna Greeny. Um, that is A-H-N-A-G-R-E-E-N-I-E. -E -E, and it's because Anna Green on Instagram was taken. And I feel sorry for the poor girl because she gets tagged in my nudes all the time. Um, well, so hopefully I'm she enjoys <laughs> nude work. I hope so. So I'm on Instagram. Um, Anna Greeny is my main account. I also have a backup account, which is Anna.Greener, which is mostly like my, the rare times I'm wearing clothing. So follow me on there in case Instagram deletes my main one. Um, I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Anna Green. I post a lot of my erotic work there. I post uncensored sets, reference photos, just what I'm doing day to day. Um, there's a big backlog of stuff on there for everyone to look at. Um, 
And I don't broadcast where I post my extra erotic stuff and my videos of my play partners. But if anyone's interested in that, DM me and I can send you the link. Um, so if anyone wants to see the weird kinky shit I get up to, DM me. I'll send you. I'll send it to you. I'll send you the link yeah. that is still behind a paywall. Yeah, that was actually a conversation I had with the previous person I was speaking with, where it feels weird. Like I totally understand the OnlyFans thing, and I totally understand you got to make money. I'm not ever going to shame anybody for doing erotic work and the erotic work they choose to do. But as somebody who's working with models and like paying them and taking pictures, it feels super weird to partake of their OnlyFans and their erotic work. Um, yeah, that's that's always a weird thing to navigate. Yep, yep. When you're because then you're then you're like we talked about the the whole arousal thing. Now you're now you're mixing personal and yeah, it's it's bad. Anyways, you also mentioned that you had some projects going on. What projects are you working on? Oh, I'm always working on projects. Um, so I also, in addition to modeling, I also make a lot of things, um, which you'll see on my Instagram. I love making masks and outfits and dresses out of weird materials. Um, so my current project is I am making a cloud mask. Like, you know how they're like cloud lamps that people make? Um, I'm making a mask of that. Um, I also... I used to work in a library, so I still have a bunch of old weeded books that are just too racist to have in circulation. And so I'm making a series of like outfits and dresses and skirts, and I'm trying to make a backdrop out of those for shooting purposes. Um, for photography proje projects, um, I don't really have a title yet, but I'm doing a series of like, it's like a show and tell of all my sex toys, but it's in the style of like artistic nudes where it's very like shaping, I'm just holding a vibrator in one hand. And that project came about because on Patreon, the community guidelines won't let you post anything showing arousal. I mean, you could post <clears throat> genitals, of course, but you can't show arousal or like penetration. So I'm like, okay, fine. I will be very artfully posed holding a vibrator. Is this because like, I mean, I think people assume vibrators and sexes are inherently obscene and they aren't. So I guess, the, I mean, the work and tell for the project is, um, is this the thing you're so afraid of? And so I'm um, just slowly making my way through doing, it's like showing tell of all my sex toys. So that's my current project, which I'm very excited about. It's, it's just fun. Yep, challenge accepted, right? <laughs> yes, like I just, yeah, when people tell me not to do something, my reaction is, okay, let's do it. But like, well, it's left. Yeah, it, uh, I'm actually not surprised that you're a librarian. <laughs> really, by librarian vibes? You do have librarian vibes. <laughs> <laughs> all right and with that we are done if you have a favorite model or photographer you'd like for me to interview please let me know check us out at the nsfwphotographypodcast.com on twitter as nsfw photography instagram at the nsfw photography podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast app talk to you all in a couple weeks the end